Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is... Are these books drunk? drunk? <laughs> I'm Mariana, and this is your book club with a twist. And we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we're talking about I'll Drink to That, the autobiography of Betty Halbreich, the iconic personal shopper of Berdorf Goodman's solutions department. Last week, we got into some pretty juicy conversations regarding chapters one and two. <laughs> we discussed Betty's lavish yet lonely childhood, spearheaded by her progressive yet secretive mother, Carol, and her workaholic yet seemingly caring stepfather, Harry. We also explored Betty's questionable engagement to Sonny and to his family, specifically her intense father-in-law, Otto. Otto! Boo! <laughs> wah, wah. Their wedding <laughs> and their honeymoon which was unintentionally or maybe intentionally overshadowed by her wardrobe. Mm -hmm. Oh, and chicas, what mm. about that Sonny? Mm. Whatever that Sonny. Oh, yeah. A man everyone <laughs> obsessed over except for maybe Betty. Oh, speaking of Betty, mm. I can't wait to start drinking today's cocktail. Yes, yes. please. She is called... The Aperol Betty. <gasps> woo, woo, woo. <gasps> so cute. <laughs> Not much explanation is needed for why we chose this drink. It's all in the name. I don't get it. <sighs> yeah. Okay, Brandy. We need I'm not to... even. I'm not even I playing don't know that about game. That one. Wow. <laughs> Here to share the recipe for this delicious, refreshing beverage is our official, unofficial bartender in lockdown, aka my husband. Ricardo. Ricardo. Wow. Woo. Woo, woo, woo. Sing it. Sing it, Brandy. Yes, Ricardo. Come on in. <laughs> Ciao, ladies. Welcome to Hi. our bars. Hi. Hola, Ricardo. Thank you for having us. Of course. <laughs> Today's cocktail is called Aperol Betty, and it's a, a twist on the traditional aperitivo cocktail, Aperol Spritz. Ooh. An Aperol Spritz, usually it's enjoyed in a wine glass, but if you want to make it a twist, you can even use a rock glass today. Well, thank you. <laughs> Let's go down deep in the recipe. First things first, fill your glass with ice. Then pour two ounces of Aperol, one ounce of fresh squeezed orange juice, and a half of an ounce of grapefruit juice. Oh, I'm so I'll have excited to put about my that. husband to work, fresh squeezing that juice. Yep, and then <laughs> top with prosecco. Oh, one thing for you, Brandy, Don, stir it. Ooh, oh, Brandy, wow. come, on. come on! You always Learn tell me lesson. this way too late. <laughs> <laughs> so sipping this cocktail is like bringing us a little bit in the bar where it was created. That was the Terroni Bar and. Los Angeles, California, oh. where these two Italian guys created the cocktail in the 90s. Uh, the name Terroni actually means from the ground, and it's usually a derogatory term that people from the north use to refer to people of the south of oh, Italy. Oh. These two guys, Cosimo and Paolo, took this derogatory term and they make a, made like a pride for them. And it reflected in this cocktail, I guess. It's super fresh and super summery. 
it's a very very easy to drink cocktail and if you followed my recommendation brandy you didn't <laughs> stir the cocktail you could see layers in the glass uh -huh. those layers remind me like of a beautiful sunrise or a stunning oh. sunset on the beaches oh. of california Oh, yeah. And that's why you're allowed to drink this cocktail from dusk till dawn. So, oh. Ooh, that's I like amazing. that. Alla vostra salute, ragazze. Oh, Cheers. Oh, yes. my. <laughs> salute to you, Ricardo. <laughs> salute. Wow, wow, wow. What an intro to this drink. I can't wait. Yes, seriously. Thank you, Ricardo. <laughs> Thank best. you, ladies. Thank you. Woo, woo. Bye. 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 All right, ladies. Cheers. Salute. Salute. <laughs> salute. Oh, salute. Oh, mm. this is so good. Ladies, this is my first April cocktail. I cannot believe I that. Truly. Where? Mariana. I don't know. I know. I'm so happy we're taking your April virginity. Virginity, ah! yeah. At least, yeah. She's just always chasing after that tequila. <laughs> See, I think that's my problem. I'm always like, I want the sourness, I want the tequila, so I never even... I do like Prosecco and Champagne, so that I do mm -hmm. love. But this is spectacular, and it's not sweet. The grapefruit yeah, the bitterness juice, is so nice. Grapefruit and so Aperol good. are a really sexy combination, yeah. Yeah. And the color of this drink is super sexy. Did you nail the stunning sunset layers? Mm. You know I didn't. Ricardo, <laughs> yeah, she Ricardo already yelled drink. at me about this, okay? Shame. I kind of tried, but I don't know. <laughs> I think it's my it's glass. It's beautiful anyway. <laughs> Actually, speaking of the sunset, I can kind of imagine Betty downing the Betty Spritz after being on that terrible vacation to Ugh. Lido Beach with her in-laws right. right after she and Sunny got back from their honeymoon. I mm -hmm. can too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So let's get into it. This week we read chapters three and four, which, just as we suspected, mm. start off with hints of trouble in paradise as Betty struggles to assimilate into Sunny's family and his love of the nightlife and mm -hmm. booze. Though she does seem to thrive at her new quote-unquote job of finding outfits for all their spectacular outings. It is a job. It is. <laughs> for her. We saw Betty become True. a somewhat reluctant mother to a daughter and son, Kathy and John, and subsequently talk her way into their new family apartment on Park Avenue. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Can you believe that? <sighs> Eight bedrooms. If you haven't looked up photos of this place, you should. Just be prepared to be depressed by the amount of space she has <laughs> and how cute it is. It's ridiculous. Stuck in this booth? I'm like, I yeah. would kind of enjoy that, wouldn't I? Exactly. <laughs> She starts to find some independence after being offered jobs with high-end designers, but we see her marriage to Sunny begin to fall apart in the wake of alcoholism, family squabbles, and infidelities on both sides. Oof. After asking Sunny to leave their home, she fakes a suicide attempt, ends up in a mental institution, and upon finally returning home, she finds herself alone for the first time Ugh. in her life. Oh, Betty. It's a lot Aww. going Betty, on. Betty, Betty, Betty. It's a lot it's so in these two chapters. Much. There's just literally so much for us to to discuss and divulge. Yeah, I just think. recapping that, my head was like <laughs> I know. spinning. <laughs> what else, Betty? Yikes. Okay, yeah, so exactly. why don't we like take it back a little bit? And okay. right off the bat, 
I actually found it really remarkable how interesting Sunny and Betty's newlywed days were like, mm-hmm. their relationship. She was like arm candy to him. Yeah. And yeah. he wouldn't let anybody else get close to her. It was like, she's mine and that's it. Mm-hmm. But weirdly, she kind of felt, she kind of seemed fine with that. Yeah, Imagine she seemed anything? like she was along for the ride, right? Right, right. At first. At first. But I also feel like she put that in there to say, like, to state that she was okay with it, but now she realizes that that was really shitty. That that was weird. Yeah, yeah. true. So that's why it makes it in. Yeah. True. For me, I feel like if her goal was to kind of continue the dynamics of how she was raised, she kind of nailed it (laughs) in a way of being (laughs) taken care of financially, no job, being told what to do and how to spend her days. Yeah, totally. That's such a good point. (laughs) She kind of she She follows what she knew. Yeah. I also think at this point, she's still so in love with this guy or with the idea of Of who she thought he was going to be that she's sort of happy to be the arm candy. I mean, I don't know if you guys had this experience, but when I was in my early 20s, like I did some dumb stuff that like, you know, I let people treat me in a way that maybe I'm not so proud of. And Hmm. she is so young. She's so young. And she's married. Right. Yeah, well, she's, she gets married at, like, 19, right? Just for yeah, a time frame. Yeah, like, she's a baby. So it kind of makes sense that, like, she doesn't have enough of a sense of self yet to sort of know that she's not okay with this. She kind of has to slog through it a little bit, I feel like. Yeah. And I think the momentum of everything just kind of swept her up. I mean, it seems like mm-hmm. f- from the get-go, even from when she met him and his family, they kind of they were very very busy they were socialites I mean yeah the extravagant social outings that she mentions going on with Sunny I mean from dinner to post dinner like aperitifs to the clubs the The nightlife I mean well and she describes them as like rubbing elbows with tv and film people and like people who have gambling empires she even talks at one point I think about like seeing um Edith Piaf perform and like being in the same room as Lena Horne like it sounds really extravagant amazing yeah it's everything that I think you would dream of but I don't know if it's at such a young age if you're prepared for all of that especially if you're significant other at the time seems to be more interested in the outer world of who he's interacting with as opposed to really being there with her and sharing along with that experience right I also kept thinking I mean this this is like such an odd comparison to compare Betty's moving to New York to like Ricardo's moving to New York Hmm. but I was thinking about that because when Ricardo moved here you know he wasn't able to work for a really long time kind of like Betty didn't have a job and I think that I think that that lends you to having a sense of feeling um, purposeless like because New York is so large and can really swallow you whole and I think without having somewhere to go to and something to do and something that you are providing for mm-hmm. it can yeah. make you feel like this tiny little lost speck in this massive yeah. city yeah. she even mentioned the the uh, labels new york as quote a bewildering place she oh, was yeah. oppressed by the concrete landscape and not knowing a soul other than her husband she would take God, herself downtown so and sit in sunny's office until it was time for her to go home or for him to go home Right. Yeah, of all the places you can go, museums, parks, and she's waited in his office. Oh. But, I mean, 
I don't know. Do you think any of that has to do with the fact that she had no money of her own? Like, the fa- okay, yeah. Can we? Is it too early to touch on this? No, please. No, the go fact ahead. that, like, how freaking crazy was Sunny with controlling her finances? Oh my god. I mean, I mean, what was that? I mean, the thing that felt the the saddest to me about that whole situation is that she sort of hints at one point about about having children as sort of an exchange for the apartment that she wanted. Oh my god, it, that broke my heart. It was Seriously. so heartbreaking. She, I, th- I think she says something to the effect of like, I had had a child for us, so I felt I deserved the apartment that sort of came with that. And I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't mean to say that she regretted having children or that she wasn't a good mother or anything like that but it it did seem that this was a sort of motherhood was a sort of currency for her like almost the only currency that she had access to it's a good way was, to put it i'm gonna provide you children yeah. so what do i get yeah <laughs> that's, that's so heartbreaking i'm sorry that's really heartbreaking i know and then it's really sad too i mean in 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 the days before they have children she comments on how free he was with money when it came to his friends and their their outings at these restaurants and stuff he's constantly picking up the check yeah, he's then generous her, mm-hmm. he's very stingy yeah it was like he he kept she defined him as kind of being such a good sport with everybody else mm-hmm. but with her she was afraid that he would get so angry if she asked for something that she wanted he wanted to take her out and for her to be the most glamorous most gorgeous individual a Right next to him. What he wanted to but, do. Yeah. Yeah. And then when she actually wanted a dress that she really felt good in, she was afraid if it was a little too expensive or on the pricier side, she felt like she didn't know if he could ask, if she could ask him. And if she did, how angry he would get. Yeah. I just, I can't imagine living a life or living in a marriage. And I, I understand that this was something... Right. Of the time. time. It was very common then. But I can't imagine living in existence where I wasn't sort of a 50-50 financial partner in my marriage. But I do think that, like, to this day, money and finances are such a complicated and sort of taboo topic for a lot of women. And, I mean, even for me, I don't think I began to fully own and understand my finances until I was, like, well into my late 20s. I, I had, At like, least. a lot of insecurity about it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys feel the same way? Yeah. I mean, I think I was I was in my late 20s when my parents introduced me to their, um, what's it called? A financial um, advisor? Yes. Oh, oh I, my goodness. I know. Isn't that the most adult thing you've ever heard? I it have a is. financial advisor. I dated a financial advisor Ooh, once. Ooh, that's sexy. Did he give you free financial advice? I was 18 at the time, so it wasn't, oh, okay. uh, yeah. I but had anyway, a crush on mine because I was like, look at this man that can like, ew, I hated the way that that just sounded. Look at this man. I started to say that. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Seriously. No, I do. I mean, I think I kind of own, I own that part of myself. Like it's never been, I've never had a very good relationship with, with math and with Mm -hmm. thinking long-term financially. Like I'm actually very good at saving, but uh, you know, Ricardo makes like spreadsheets and I'm so thankful for that because I'm so bad at that. But I, I just know that that's, if I wanted to learn more, I could have, but now I don't but I have think that's, to. Right. That's who he is or who he was, at least in Italy, right? No, yeah, that's, he loves that. Right. right. That's, that's, that's his thing. That's, that's his ammo. I feel like that's, that's the way he thinks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to sound like a helpless 
you know, woman that doesn't know how, I've just kind of stepped aside and let him take over that because he enjoys it. And I don't. Yeah. But I am yeah. now starting to think more long term what I can do saving. You know, it wasn't an option for Betty. It wasn't even an option. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Which is great that we had the option, you know, in a way so different than Betty. I, I, I am similarly to Emma. Well, to both of you in a sense that the three of us are artists, so we kindly, mm-hmm. our finances are kind of different in that regard. That we kind of, yeah. very much so, because we go gig to gig. Totally. As, at least for my husband, he's, you know, what he's been doing, what Andrew's been doing since he graduated college, it's always been like, there's been a salary. This is what, you know, this is where we're putting our savings, because that's kind of... His career leads to that. Exactly. Right. It's sort of built in. Totally. But for us, it's a little bit. But I think the three of us are very independent women that we want to be making our own money. So we are able to be independent and do our own thing when we need to or when we choose to. Yes. So I think that's still our mentality. And I think that's what Betty struggled with, that she didn't even have the option. Even if she wanted, there had to be kind of a bargain or kind of a bribe for, let me give out, let me have my first kid to see if it's okay that we still stay in this eight bedroom apartment on Park Avenue. Right. So it's it's tough. It's it's heart wrenching. And I think even her dad said that it wasn't nice for women to work. It wasn't correct before that it just wasn't nice, which is it's 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 just that sad thing that even if she it's the time period, but it it also is just even if she had wanted to go find a job, it's so outside of a what she's been raised to do. Exactly. B what's socially acceptable, and C like she doesn't even have the education. Really, she left college. Right. I don't think After she her finished. freshman so she year. She doesn't even have the education to maybe go find something that would be interesting to her to do. So it's it's kind of like she just was automatically funneled into this marriage. System. Unfortunately. Yeah. And that's why even if she had these extravagant and epic outings every single day those didn't really matter to her that much because it wasn't of her choosing it was really she had to follow right. through with whatever yep. sunny wanted yep i she think she would have outfits for the outing sunny chose exactly so I mean, she kind of sounds fun i think i would enjoy that it's fun i i imagine it was probably fun to begin with absolutely i, I mean what she saw quick. but i think if she would have had I don't know if she felt more independent in a way. I think she would have enjoyed them even more. At least I think I would have. Just because I would have had a sense of self instead of following along. Right. But I think there's also that piece of having to ask Sunny for the money. So, like, yes, I'm sure it's fun. But then, you know, there's something that she wants that's a little bit more expensive than normal. And she feels the stress instantly of knowing that Sunny is going to feel a certain way about it or say a certain thing about it or whatever. Yeah, who cares? And Harry would give her everything, whatever she wanted. Her stepdad would do whatever she wanted. So, well, we'll get more into that later. But he gave her a lot of uh, material things if she asked for them. Yeah, he provided. He provided. No excuse. (laughs) No excuse. Hey. So let me ask you this, guys. Since our husbands met us when we were already married to our passion and crafts, mm-hmm. were they along for the ride? 
I mean, as newlyweds, it, oh, it must have been difficult <laughs> for you guys to compartmentalize New York living, which we already discussed, not exactly like Betty did it. Right. But, yeah. What about your husbands? How, how did they feel going through this, knowing that our jobs were so different and we met them at different stages? Right. Okay. Well, I'll start. Please. <laughs> um, I think... This question reminds me how grateful I am for the situation that I have because, as you said, Ricardo knew that I was an actor and he was still living in Italy and I was living in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And... But interestingly, you met him on a gig you were working as an actor in In Italy. Italy. Exactly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. correct. Just to prove that I'm serious about this. (laughs) (laughs) Serious and crazy talented. Yes. Um, And so when we had that discussion of, you know, where are we going to go? Because we wanted to be together, but not and not on opposite Uh, sides of the ocean. I was like, well, I need to be in New York. Like, I can't. I can't do my career the way that I want to do it mm-hmm. in Italy. So he made the sacrifice to move here so that I could keep pursuing this. And I think that's Aww. maybe partly why I feel not pre- I don't ever feel pressure from him, but there's a mm-hmm. part of me that's like I want to make this worth it. You know, like I'm going to I'm going to fucking nail it so that I can show him that it was worth it for him to move to America. Oh, it was already worth it for him. I know. And I know he would say that, but you know, it's it was a huge sacrifice mean. that he made and that he made for me to be able to continue <clears throat> this. So Yeah. Um and because he's so supportive, I've never had to feel bad about it. You know, we make we yeah. all you know, as artists, we make sacrifices all the, all time, the time, but I never feel like I have to give that up for, and for him. And I think and it also, he understood you. He got you. He knew exactly who you were and what you wanted. Yep. And what makes me so sad about Betty's early days with Sunny is that it doesn't seem like he got her at all. Yeah. At all. At she almost all. just becomes a reflection of him in a way. And yeah. That's fine until she doesn't want to be that anymore. And then it seems like things start to crumble. Yeah. And don't you think that when someone doesn't get you, you, you're restricted in your growth and in oh your involvement God. as an individual? Yeah. And it makes Absolutely. you want to fight so much more to be seen for, for who you feel like you are. For, yeah. Well, so it's interesting in response to your question, Mariana. Sure. I'm super lucky because... My husband, Jason, has always been super supportive of what I do. Anytime I come to him wanting to make like a big purchase for my acting career or anything like that, starting a new class, private coaching, he'll always say to me, I think the best investment we can make is in you. He's like so amazing. But I was in a really serious, I think you guys know this about me. I was in a really serious seven year long relationship with somebody Mm -hmm. right before I started dating Jason, who I was actually engaged to also Mm -hmm. and he started out being super supportive of what I did and then slowly over our seven years he started seven years we're together for seven years he sort of started to slyly become it was such a gaslighting weird way to do this but he started to really become unsupportive of what Mm. I was doing 
And so I was working at Starbucks Coffee through college. That's how this guy and I met. And he would really, he started to pressure me at a certain point to just become a full-time manager at Starbucks. That's what he thought I should do. It, it would be a nine to do five. Do you mind me asking what he did? He was a manager at Starbucks. Uh-huh. So he just wanted me to do this, get a salary. And he would assure me, like as if he knew that it wouldn't interfere with my audition schedule, but I'd be getting this great salary and it would be totally worth it for me. And which, of course, I never for a second, it, it would be a constant like butting, butting heads, heads moment yeah. for us because I knew that wasn't the case, but he would constantly try to beat this into my head that it was the case. Right. We had always said we loved living in New York. Then suddenly he wanted to really leave New York. He was oh, becoming no. a lot more insistent on that. <sighs> and then despite knowing that I didn't want kids, I've never wanted kids. I've always been very vocal about mm-hmm. that. He also suddenly just kind of started, he would start to tell me that I would change my mind and that like probably down the line, I would want. He didn't get you. He didn't get me. And what kills me is that it's similar to Betty. For seven years, I feel like I just would make excuses for him. I would try to, I would think in my head, you know what? He's going to change. He's going to, he'll start to get me at some point. He thought that he could do for you. He thought that he could change you. Yeah. Exactly. And people don't change. Mm. No. And I look back on it now and I can't believe what a different, I mean, I think I was, I, I was the same person obviously then that I am now, but I can't believe that I didn't stand up for myself mm-hmm. sooner because we it was, we it was probably yeah. five years of that, of this just back and forth fight about what I was trying to do. And it really pisses me off now. Well, <laughs> I but, mean, but now look at you. You're still exactly. like a fierce fucking working actor. Exactly. And you're killing it. Exactly. And yeah, what I, I mean had... by not people not changing, I mean people don't change, but people do evolve. And some people just don't. Some people don't. Right. That's exactly right. And you continued. And yeah. you just escalated. Like you just kept going. And unfortunately, he, I think he was probably left behind. And then he had an ego that didn't allow him to see you and what your needs and desires were. Yeah. And luckily for that, because then you married Jason. I know. (laughs) Then I got my guy. Mariana, what about you with Andrew? (sighs) Well, you ladies know I met him so long ago. Yeah. I don't even remember when. When I was a baby. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a little baby girl. (laughs) Uh, No. Andrew met me as a dancer. He met me as an oh, artist. Yeah, we met course. in college, senior year of college. Both of us were attending Fordham. Just he was at the Rose Hill campus in the Bronx, and I was at Lincoln Center in Manhattan. Oh. So he knew from the get-go what he was getting into. His first artist and his first Latina. So Ooh, he, was, he was in for a wild <laughs> ride. <laughs> but he was he majored in business. He majored in marketing. So that's what he wanted to do, and that's what he came to New York to do. So for us, we always, we always understood each other and we knew exactly what we wanted to pursue. And he, you guys know this, he's constantly like reading sides for me. He's like doing self-tape, especially during quarantine. He's become the best scene partner ever. (laughs) Right? (laughs) When I had to go through injuries, he was right there by my side and he didn't care that he had to be the one, the kind of the breadwinner which he he has for the most part but he knew that I was doing something that I loved Mm. and I'll never forget he told me one day he's like I will never judge you or 
be condescending to you or demean what you do because I wish I would have a passion or be so passionate about something like you are. And hopefully Aww. one day I will find Aww. that. That's so beautiful. So that, for what a me, sweet side of Andrew. Yeah. He is a very he's gentle just a bear. Teddy bear. <laughs> he is. I'm gonna remember this. <laughs> and so he he's very passionate about his work, but there's there's a difference between passion and love and something that you know that's in you that you just can't get rid of. Right. Yeah. So I, I, of course, I feel the pressure because I want to get to where I want to get to. But from from him, I know that he is patient and he will understand that these things do take long and that we will try to make both my career and our family top, you know, top uh, priorities, factors, priorities Mm -hmm. in our lives. It's interesting to me that you bring up this idea of of family and sort of motherhood because that does seem to be something that Betty really struggles with I don't think she I don't think she disliked the idea of being a mother I think probably the way that it happened maybe was a little bit more of the issue but she she did seem to struggle with the idea of motherhood in New York at least yeah And she said in the book, my unhappiness in New York made me concerned about having a child. If I brought one into this life, then I would be I would never be able to escape. But I never discussed any of those feelings. And for Sunny, my becoming a mother was a given. (sighs) And at first, when I read that, I thought her hesitation was about bringing a baby into their New York life where she was so unhappy. Mm -hmm. I thought when she said she would never be able to escape. She meant she'd never be able to escape her New York life because her child would be tied to the father and the father's family. But that second little bit there about motherhood being a given to Sunny, it made me wonder, did she want did she want to be a mom? See, I the whole escape for me was like popping neon lights being like escape, escape. And then yeah. I thought about here we go again. It's kind of a theme in her young life that she grew up. She labels her upbringing as kind of like a prison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you oh. think about having family and bearing children, that would kind of be another prison for her yeah. because she would never be able oh. to escape. Because when you have a child, which I think, I do think it's a beautiful thing for some who don't want to be mothers, which you totally have a choice, it's still a binding relationship between you and your spouse. Oh, my gosh. You're going to be attached forever. Mm. And so it seems to me that this theme of, like, being in a prison, she was kind of worried or fearing that she was creating and replicating that for herself again. So it, 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 it kind of, it was hard not that she was struggling so much with that and not knowing if she actually had the choice because it was a given. That's funny because I read the never be able to escape as never be able to escape New York. Hmm. As opposed to Sunny and that life. I read it like she would yeah. never be able to leave New York. To leave, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how how to answer the part, you know, the question of if she wanted to be a mom or not, because I don't think we'll ever know that. And I don't think that's really for us to to know because she doesn't discuss that. But what I what I can take away from what I read was it was a really um, 
you know, complicated situation, as it always is. I think it's never just Absolutely. really like black and white. But yeah, um, I mean, it makes me think of a quote that really stuck with me where she says, I found taking care of Kathy, who's her daughter, and her mm-hmm. little brother John rather boring, even though I love them dearly. I, particular, mm-hmm. I particularly disliked going to the park and sitting with the other mothers. I found it maddening to listen to their talk of children's toilet habits in school <laughs> they hoped for. Like, I loved that because I think that yeah. she's really touching on that more vulnerable side of motherhood yeah. that yeah. a lot of moms, I think, might be... I don't know, too, like, ashamed to admit, but it's such a real thing. Yeah. It Um, is. I think there's such an interesting duality there because I think she really, I think there are parts of being a mom that she really does enjoy. I think maybe this, this thing that I was responding to, which is when she says she's feeling that she feels bored by it or that she felt like she might not be able to escape it. I think, I think it's just all happening outside of maybe the way she would have liked it to outside of the way she would have planned to do it it's all happening to her instead of her being able to decide it Mm. Mm -hmm. I did have this sense too I don't know I think there's a part of her that that loves being a homemaker Yes. Not to say that she wouldn't want to work outside of the home too, but she seems to really delight in arranging their family home with the same way her mom did. Right. Exactly. With a certain staff members who do the cooking and cleaning in a very particular way. And she furnishes it with these possessions Mm -hmm. that feel so important to her, that dining room table that she won't stop bringing up. And then when she started to talk about their new apartment on Park Avenue, I had that sense all over again of that family in the perfect dollhouse. Mm. And once again, that feeling of it looking really perfect from the outside, a mom, a dad, and two kids, but it's totally feel right. fractured on the inside. She, I, I need to intervene because there was a quote that I wrote down that I thought was like perfect for yeah, the, exactly please. that with the dollhouses. She said, with a gracious and clean apartment, a vibrant social life, and a well-scrubbed and, well, and well-dressed children, the yeah. Halbrush household was the model of the 1950s impeccably. Ooh. There you go. That's she it. I feel strongly about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that it's about her well-scrubbed, well-dressed children. Exactly. And it's not about their personalities exactly. or what they're doing in school or any, you know, any of that stuff. It's yeah. just they're well-dressed and they're well-scrubbed. Yeah. They look great. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a no wonder she became a personal stylist. Right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. It was inevitable. I, I, do, I do love, though, how honest she was about her motherhood and her struggles. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, what going back to what Emma was saying, it's, it's a shame that not every mother feels this way and again none of us are mothers as of yet well brandy is a mother to a beautiful dog i've got a fur baby and mariana's about to be a mom to a fur and emma's got and emma's got oh i'm sorry yes and jack right oh okay yes i was like i have a fur baby yeah, yeah. I was so saying, sorry. wait, because you said Mariana's about to be a mom, and I was like, wait, 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 wait. Oh, oh no, baby. no, no, no. I was like, listeners, I'm drinking. I'm drinking. I'm drinking. Not the time to tell me anything. I'm drinking. But anywho, I'm. It's just, it's really, it, it was really brave of her to be so open and honest, especially at that time. Yeah. 
during the time that she was becoming a mother and that she was a mother right. that she was so honest about not necessarily loving every aspect of motherhood whether it was put upon her or that she chose to do it it's just the idea that she was honest about how hard it mm-hmm. was it's so hard so yeah great. yeah what about after she gives birth to Kathy Sunny tells her that she next would have a boy and she asked him what would happen if she didn't and he responded by saying that they would just keep trying until she did and it's like she has no say in it at all he's just like oh no we'll just keep having sex and you'll just keep popping popping these out Mm -hmm. yeah until we have the boy a male like, Which is crazy because remember when they got this big apartment, he was so angry about it being like, well, who's going to furnish this place? True, like true. he didn't want to pay for the furniture for all these rooms. <laughs> and yet he's like, we'll just keep having kids until you give me a boy. It's just wrong. It's crazy. It's well, wrong. they have eight bedrooms. So I guess he's like, we're just going to fill all the bedrooms with babies. They have eight furniture. rooms, not eight bedrooms, right? Well, oh. I Please I tell thought me it this was... apartment is not bigger than I thought it was. See, I read it as eight bedrooms, but she never the... said bedrooms. I just assumed it was bedrooms, though I haven't seen any I pictures of it. I mean, it could it, be so rooms, sure. but even still. Oh, my God. It's a big-ass apartment for it's 225 a Park Avenue. apartment. Speaking of troubles of motherhood, I also thought she was really honest about how angry she was at her neediness overall. Mm. I mean, she talks Aww. about her neediness in terms of men and boys, but it's interesting how that was also reflected in being a mom and her neediness yeah. for her children. So yep. much so that she severed the cord mm-hmm. with her own children early by sending yeah. John off to boarding school and kind of like letting them fend for themselves and become adults at the age of eight, you know? Well, and she even talks about like leaving him on his own at the in the subway at one point and he like ended up in the Bronx, yeah. which when I was reading that gave me a freaking heart attack my young child on a new york city subway in another borough well especially now (laughs) well then too but But that's what's so fucking cool about like people that are born and raised here like yeah kids just have this sense of independence oh my god before covid i used to see these young kids all the time on the subway and i was like good for you they're young really because i'd be like where is your mommy i need to call cps immediately (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if I would do it with my child. So, you know, when I when I read that quote, Emma, I was actually, it made me think about how great she was at being a mom in a sense that she wanted to, like, cut ties with the pattern or the dynamic that she grew up in and wanted to do different, bring her children up in a different way so they yeah. wouldn't have that mm-hmm. neediness. And I immediately started thinking of my parents, specifically my mom, um, because growing up in a Colombian household, being raised with the Colombian culture, mm-hmm. in the Colombian culture, there's such an emphasis on how a person looks. Ah. Mm. And a lot of times it's like your worth is based on how you look yeah. as opposed to how you are. Mm. So as an adult, my parents and I have had many conversations of things they learned when they were younger and how they wanted to just raise me in a different way. So Aww. they wouldn't kind of make the same mistakes as my grandparents did along the way. Yeah, And because they were so young when they had me, it was kind of like we were growing up together. So it was a way for them to just... Aww be able to do two things differently so they would raise me in a way that they were proud of. 
Yeah. Not to say that my grandparents weren't, but that they would be more proud of because they wouldn't cause the same hurt, I guess, or the same anxiety that they had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so one of the biggest lessons that I heard, that I learned from them and I'm so grateful that they learned from their past is that a person's worth is based on their heart and how they treat Aww. others as opposed to how one appears. And I think that's something also that I will never forget. I'm curious, Mariana, would you say that in the Colombian culture, looks are sort of so important and your worth is sort of based on your looks? Do, do you think that's the same for both boys and girls? No. Hmm. It's such a great mm. question, Brandy, but I really don't think, I think for women, yeah. and that's why unfortunately in Colombia and in Venezuela specifically in South America, a lot of women in their 30s have plastic surgery. Plastic surgery. Oh, wow. And I'm not going to mention how many individuals in my family have had because <laughs> that's, that's kind nice. of like a thing. Mm. My mom has it. Of course, I haven't. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but there are other in, females in my family on my mom's side specifically that that's that's what they knew and that they always had mm -hmm. to keep themselves th there was a certain standard right. and it's very yeah. unfortunate that that was such a thing that was so ingrained in them from a yeah. very young age which causes a lot of problems in their adult life totally and it's interesting I'm a huge proponent actually of plastic surgery like I think if there's something that you want to change then you go do it whatever it is you know mm -hmm. But it is, it is tough. There's a fine somebody, line. When it's somebody so young, you're yeah. 30. And not because you want it necessarily. But exactly. You feel like you have exactly. It's coming from the outside. Exactly. There's one thing if it's coming from you and there's something yeah. you want to change, go for it. But if it's because you have to look a certain way for to other people. be pleasing to the out, outside eye, then. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting, like, from what you just said, this makes me want to switch gears a little bit, if that's okay. Yeah, because Mariana, like what you're saying about your mom, or the women in your family feeling like they need to keep a certain standard. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the rocky relationship that Betty has with her mother-in-law. Yep, with oh, Sunny's mom. Boy, this. Cheers! Woman. I'll drink some. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's bring old Florence into the mix. <laughs> I mean, like, talk about generational pressure and feeling like you have to hold on to a certain. Um, set of standards from right. what's passed down to you. I feel mm, like right. what's her name? Florence, her mom. Yeah, yeah. Florence. Florence is such a character, and she really kind of throws herself into Sunny and Betty's relationship, and mm -hmm. she really stays and lingers a bit longer than I think she is is welcome. Yeah, and it, and it's so interesting. I think Betty kind of. I mean, she kind of stood up for herself. During that time? She did. Because she did, in a way, say that she was so uncomfortable during her unexpected visits from Florence that usually happened on a Friday, like during almost happy hour time, right. where she would wanted to just be spending time with Sunny, that she admitted that she wasn't very gracious. Right. But she felt that there was a wedge between Sunny and her because whether her. it was true or not because of her mm -hmm. so i feel like even if she didn't necessarily say anything who knows who knows what what happened during those times but yeah that they only had like common ground in clothes and jewelry so it, it was interesting that she just made a note of that that she just wasn't very gracious because she wanted to show her 
that she didn't really belong there at that point. That it right. was supposed to be about Sunny and her, especially during that time. Yeah, I mean, this whole, this woman just, it just baffled me. Because you know, earlier, I think earlier in the chapter, Betty talks about her mother-in-law and the stripes that she wears and that the women of their sort of circle wear right and she sort of equates them to like the stripes equal how many uh like infidelities their husbands have had almost like almost like awarding your wife a diamond ring after you get have a baby or something and (laughs) put somewhere else like a push present i mean push present that's what i thought about but that's the way i read it with these stripes is her saying like it's almost like they're in the military or something and they've earned their stripes by like putting up with all of their husband's bullshit or something and i felt like dude just because you're so unhappy in your marriage why would you want to inflict that on your son's marriage and i just got the sense that she was so afraid of losing Sonny to Betty. Mm-hmm. Sonny's sort of the only man in her life because her husband isn't really there. So she's so afraid of losing him to Betty that she wouldn't take her claws out of Sonny. She didn't want to lose him. And so she's purposefully a little bit dreadful to Betty out of a weird sense of like competition with her. That is very something. true. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. Well, I think that's partly why I I really do. I mean, we're saying all these things like, Betty, how could you let him walk all over you? And, you know, I feel so sad for you. But I really do actually admire her because it would have been so much easier for Betty to go along with this the way that her mom did yeah. and the way that mm-hmm. Florence did. You know, if, yep. if you want to find Except the parallel. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she is seeing the parallels in... Sonny and Florence and their relationship and she she very easily and Otto Otto and Florence's relationship she very easily could have succumbed to the same kind of pattern and I think instead she realizes that these are problems and she's like peace like I don't want any part of that so which is exactly what she did with her kids yeah severing the cord she right. she didn't want to follow through with those patterns so there there's a common ground there's a through line there there's a theme right. there that she specifically chose to do which is well, kudos to betty totally and also sort of in response she starts to have these affairs sort of in response to his affairs oh are we getting into the affairs section i mean it seems like to me is it's is almost a power play. Like it's almost a way to get her power back in this relationship. Absolutely. By cheating on him. And ugh, this whole section of the book just broke my heart. The idea that she so badly needs to be wanted or just needs to feel desired. Seen. Everything she was yeah, seen or every, heard. All of that. Everything she was doing just made me feel like she was so starved for Sonny's attention Mm -hmm. and his affection that she was just at the end of her rope and sort of like willing to do whatever to get out of this. So do you guys, at any point, did you feel that she was blaming herself for pushing Sonny towards having extramarital affairs? Like I feel oh. that there was a there was a there was a time that I when I was reading through it the first go around that I was like it seems like she was kind of blaming herself for him having this liaisons. Really, when? Yeah, because these like cause what, it seemed like to me like this was going on for a long time. I feel yeah. like this sure. was going on well before she knew about it. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, but it just it. 
there was a part of me that she, it just, reading it, it just seemed to me that there was something about the way that she was writing these unfortunate circumstances that she wished she could have been more, that there could have been something else that she could have done to prevent this. But she, he unfortunately wouldn't talk. Like she even goes on to say that a lot of the affairs that she had were with men who actually talked to her because right. it was even more about the, it wasn't about the affection. It was just having a conversation. Old because zipper mouth. That's what she exactly, called him. Exactly. So I don't know. There, there was, I think there was, a, not to say that it was the whole reason why, but there was an essence about initially why he was having these affairs that she felt that she was kind of a culprit behind it. Yeah, I think any, I don't know how it is for men. I assume actually probably men do the same thing. But I think, I think that kind of goes for anyone that has been cheated on. You can't help but kind of ask yourself. You blame Wonder yourself. Wonder why. Yeah, like what did I do? Like yeah. kind of, of course. it's a terrible thing. You know, you blame yourself for your partner's infidelity. But I think that's, I think that's Yeah, really how can common. you not, right? Right. Because otherwise, why would they be doing that? It must be you. Right. Something I've yeah. done wrong or something I wasn't doing. Yeah. Right. Something I'm lacking that this other person isn't lacking. I think and in this you... case, he was just a player and a dick bag. Touche. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And I think he also was somebody who I don't think he was quite a whole. I think he had such a complicated relationship with his dad. And I think he really wanted to be different from his dad and yet that sort of pushed him to be the same as his dad in a weird way you know what I mean I feel like he was trying so hard to be the opposite of what his dad was and yet he ends up being almost the the same same same. thing yeah yeah speaking of parents though I I had a really hard time digesting the way that Harry and Carol handled this whole dysfunctional relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they knew that his drinking was poisoning to their marriage, and yep. they allowed it to continue. Yep. A part of me feels like what I mentioned in the last episode, that it was kind of like this arranged marriage, which we kind of discussed that it wasn't because she did really love Sonny. Right. But... They were all about this like grand facade of the idea that they were so wealthy. They were this this family in New York City being from Chicago. Mm-hmm. So it's like it was more what would the ending of this marriage mean to their family as a whole as opposed to how detrimental this tumultuous relationship would be to Betty. Right. And the consequences thereafter, the replication, the repercussions of what this meant for her in the long run. But I think also at this time, divorce is still so taboo. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not True. done. True. True. So I think that's also a piece of it. And I think, I think it must be such a complicated thing to see your grown daughter so unhappy and yet she is married. She is her own person. Like, Wait. what can you really do? No, but there was one quote that I wrote down and I just found it that she said, she cried to her dad. She's like, yeah. you have to get me out of this. I cried. Yeah. Daddy, I cannot endure this anymore. Yep. And yeah. he didn't back her up. And he can't, no. If your child is, again, I'm not a parent. I can't, I can't speak for parents out there. But if your child is crying to you and saying, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Wouldn't you be like, okay, I, no matter what the time, they were very progressive for the time, regardless. And they adored her. 
And they, I mean, supposedly they did, right? Right. I'm assuming that they did. I think. But I think they also loved Sonny. Especially her dad really loved Sonny. He thought of him like a son. Or more like a brother because they were very similar Or more like a brother. They age. do say that, yeah. She says both like a son and a brother. So they yeah. were really close. Still yeah. not excusable. It's still your daughter crying. It's right. still your daughter. Right. And your only daughter for that matter. Yeah. Your baby, as Harry kept saying yeah. at the beginning of the book. Well, yeah, one of my favorite I mean, moments was when Betty threw a dessert at Sonny's head in the restaurant because he was being an <laughs> asshole. Like, at least she found out how to stand up for herself. That was so I great. Was like, so, yes, so great. I wonder, too, I mean, I think the part that makes me the most sad about all of it, maybe more so than Sunny, because I didn't really like Sunny from the beginning. It's it's what she was looking for in reaching out to these other men, in the men that she was having Mm -hmm. affairs with. Like that one specifically, the, um, the other guy, the one that she really, like, shall I say, bonded with, that they had, they were seeing each other for a while. And mm-hmm. then she felt like she was maybe too intense in her need and longing yeah. for him. And then he was like, oh, you actually like me? Like, bye. And she yeah. was like, yep, did it again. He was just looking for the affair. Uh, and she's like, I thought that someone saw me. I thought someone got me. Yeah. I know. But so what I really want to talk about, what I really want to get to through all of this is that it's sort Tell of us, in this time... That she gets offered her first job. Yeah. Mm. At the age Mm -hmm. of 46. No work experience to speak of. None. She just is a fabulous dresser, and clearly she's a lovely person because a friend of theirs just, like, offers her this job, which she herself says she's not very good at, and she ends up sort of moving on from it pretty quickly. But somebody sees something in her. That they're willing to say, hey, come run this store. Even as she's saying herself, I have no experience doing this. And She was great at networking, sorry, because yeah. it happened during a cocktail hour. Right. And I'm right. like, so those things actually work. Right. <laughs> and I think it's important noting that this person that she was running the sportswear line division for was the designer Chester Weinberg. Like, right. no winny-ninny. No, exactly. And then her second job, which was quickly on the heels of that, was she was working for Jeffrey Bean, who introduced my favorite jumpsuit. So I'm like, oh my God, she was working for him? Like, they're not Yeah, this was a big deal. No. And she was working directly with these people. It's not like she was working in some store, you know, that they owned or something. Like, she's every day she sees them. Every day she's interacting with them. Yeah, and she mentions uh, about Mr. Bean. She says that trapeze dresses, architectural jackets, jersey, and silk and silk his clothes revolutionized fashion in a way that they draped a woman's figure and yet were instant classics in their timelessness. Mm. So it's like it, it was, it's something that all of us would be wearing him today. They weren't yeah. back then, but this is in the now. They it was were something, artists. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. She was working with true artists of the things she just naturally kind of loved already. Mm-hmm. What I think is so interesting is that she's in a place in her life where she feels so powerless. She feels powerless in how many children she's going to have. She feels powerless financially. She feels powerless in her relationship. And yet outsiders see enough strength in her and enough talent in her 
that they just outright offer a woman in her 40s who's never worked before in her life and who I doesn't have a college degree. Sorry, I misspoke. For those of you who but, are I mean, really she's, you getting know, into this. But she, you know, she's she's becoming middle-aged at yes. this point and she's never had she doesn't have any work experience she's never had a college degree and yet they're saying to her her first job they were saying can you come run this place right even as she's like i have no idea and they find out later she does she has no idea what she's doing and still they were like come run this come do this but it's it's so incredible to hear that because wouldn't we wish that we were all like that yeah that we really knew our worth from the get-go and that we didn't need others to build up our confidence that we could just build up our own confidence and be like I mean, this is who we are and this is what we can do that's the magic just, bean yeah that's right. the magic bean we all have that <laughs> <laughs> i'll drink to that <laughs> i'll drink to that i don't know why a bean but you know but be like mr bean, bean. I was thinking like Jack Beanstalk. Well, it still works. I I thought to myself, is there a company into the woods like (laughs) happening here? No, wait, remind me because we also haven't mentioned that she asked Sunny to leave the marriage. Was that before or after she was employed? Do you remember? I think this was there was one time before and then there was one time after, right? right? The second time. But it's time. the second time that he actually does. And he's leaves. like, "Okay, bye." Yeah. Yep. So she's got all of this going on. She's like, "My husband's got to go." She's employed. Oh, also, she had a partial hysterectomy. Like, no big deal. Oh, I and know. polio before that we never even mentioned that she she right? ended she up has having some polio. Health problems. That was right before. Or that was right after she gave birth to Kathy. Yeah, to... we yes. didn't even talk about the fact we didn't this even bitch talk about that polio. I mean, it was yeah, super yeah. contagious. Everybody stayed away from her except for Sunny. At they that point, drained he the had pool to be there. at the place yes. where they were staying because yeah. people were so freaked out. She and she beat that. Yeah, we didn't even. Ugh. This woman and has had a full when you life. have a hysterectomy, that really changes your hormone, yeah. you know, levels. That yeah, that's a okay. huge shift, guys. Her gynecologist, before he operated on her, said, you can, don't worry, you'll be able to wear a bikini again. Right. I was like, um, that's not what I want to hear before I have a hysterectomy. Right. Are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> Thank you so anyway, much. Anyway, I'm sorry, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. So she, I feel like almost this employment that she gets seeing this confidence coming from other people in her direction Mm -hmm. having this sense of autonomy Mm. over her own life a little bit earning some money I feel like she doesn't explicitly say this but I do feel like it's what sort of gives her the boost to ask Sunny to finally leave that second time yeah probably did you guys have that sense I would imagine that to be true I don't know if I thought about it that deeply but yeah I mean that would make a lot of sense she's probably also earning money on her own for the first time now yeah that's got to feel freaking amazing the only thing that for me it was because she did know that she said that chaos in in her personal life was just so much that she didn't want the responsibility at work Mm -hmm. so it just felt that like her personal life was just so overwhelming that even when she was offered other positions, like really her focal point was what to do with Sunny, what to do with her life. 
Right. And I think that's why she kind of backtracked as soon as Sunny actually did leave. Mm. That at that point she was like, oh no, what did I just do? Yeah, she does seem to suffer a sort of immediate sense of remorse when Sunny actually goes. Leaves. Yeah, and that spirals she... into a hole. Yeah, she kind of falls apart and she, I think she she fakes a suicide attempt. Right? Yeah. I don't know that she meant, I don't think she meant to actually kill herself. I think that no. she knew, I mean, she did nick her wrist, but I think that she knew that she was doing it, that it wouldn't be deep enough, but it would be serious enough to get her committed. I don't think and she actually was trying attention. to kill herself. Yeah. Right. No. That's why but it was fake. definite, it was a cry for help. Yes. Right. So she ends up in an institution, and we actually learned that her mother actually also spent some time in an institution when Betty's father passed away. Yeah. Which is so sad. I felt really sad when I read that because I was like, oh, we didn't actually hear about Yeah, she dad. just dropped it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that just came out of nowhere that her father well, her- had passed away. Right? I was just going to say stepfather, but yes, right. her dad. Right, but for all intents and purposes, it yeah, was her, her dad. dad. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to admit, until my very recent past, I've been hugely skeptical of therapy and mental help. I don't think I've ever been judgmental of people who need it or people who seek it out, but I've always sort of maintained a very firm stance that, like, it's not for me. And I think my family has always sort of felt the same way. It's mm. not for us. We don't do that. Hmm. Huh. And it's sort of been passed down through the generations of, you know, like tough Mexicans who came right. before me. We don't right. need this. We're so tough. And I was wondering how you guys were brought up to think of mental health, seeking help. Have your views changed since you've been young hmm. about that? I feel really lucky in that my parents were super open to that from hmm. from a really when I was really young. Um I think I was 11 when my parents first took me to a therapist. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I was, I think I've mentioned In to unison. You. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the trouble the child. child. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's right. I've been going my whole life. <laughs> no, I, mean, I think I've mentioned to you guys before, like I was just like a really intense child and I just uh-huh. had very deep feelings from a very young age and I had this really insane fear of death and then when I got older I had this insane fear that my parents were going to divorce and leave me oh my goodness they never exhibited I mean they fought as all normal married couples fought but they never there were no other signs I just had decided in my brain that interesting things were awful and that they were going to divorce wow. and everything was going to be terrible and then they were going to die. I mean, this is probably why I'm an actor. Just like shit is <laughs> the drama, drama <laughs> inside. So yeah, they took me to um, Dr. Wiener was, oh. was my therapist. And I don't think I saw him many times, but I think it's pretty cool. Like looking back that my parents could gauge that that could be healthy for me yeah sure and then I didn't go to a therapist again until college and she was amazing and then I went again in New York I find like I I tap into therapy as I feel like I really need it but I yeah I I think that's surely support it and I think it's amazing and I think if you can afford it and I think if you can find someone that really vibes with you 
Mm-hmm. I think it it's a beautiful relationship. No, I, I totally agree, Emma. And I also see your point, Brandy, because again, coming from a Colombian background, it was very much like we didn't really talk about if we needed help, huh. you figure it out. Yeah. And you huh. move on. Yep. You figure it out on your own. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. But what was interesting is that my parents, again, breaking the pattern, they weren't necessarily like that. And I didn't really, there were moments, I guess, in college that I I reached out for help, but I didn't really need the help that I knew that I couldn't really figure it out on my own until I suffered my injuries. Oh. So after I had suffered my second ACL tear after Andrew and I got married, which was within a year and two months of suffering my first rupture Mm -mm. while I was a dancer. Jesus. That when that happened again, it's all of a sudden, I, I I have been a pretty anxious person, but I kind of was able to cope with it throughout most of my life. But when that happened again and again and again and again, because I ended up having five surgeries, five injuries, and four years of physical therapy, I at that point thought, after the second one, I was like afraid of everything. everything. Of course. I didn't want to leave my house, even though I really couldn't because I was still on crutches and my left leg, poor thing, weighed like 500 pounds because it was just, there was so much fluid in there. So it it was a lot. But the idea of feeling so powerless and just not knowing what was going on and yeah. feeling like, how how do I cope with the anxiety and the fear of something worse happening? Yeah. Because I was like, am I? I did have those fears about, you know, what if my parents die or what if my parents get divorced or what if something happens to Andrew? But this was more about me just being like, what if I go out on the street and walk across the street? Am I now going to get hit by a car? Mm. So at that point, I just, I reached out and I'm glad that I did. Yeah. So I'm, and my parents were very supportive of that. Mm-hmm. And since then, they've grown to understand that that's something that if you need it, luckily I asked for help. I hope that people, when they need it, they do. And they forget about that stigma of right. like, if. Yeah. There is such a stigma. There, there is. is such a stigma and it's so unfortunate and I, 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 I'm a firm believer that it does help. It does help you deal with all those feelings and all those emotions that you can't necessarily control. And you just have someone that's there to listen. Because yeah. I think that's what's most important. And I think that's what Betty was suffering with, that she didn't have someone to listen to her. Mm-hmm. She didn't have someone to actually understand where she was coming yeah. from. And it was a cry for help. Even her it was parents. Like, like if her parents right. didn't yeah. even listen to her. And I think importantly, sometimes it's really important to have somebody who can say to you, you know what? You're not the crazy one. Exactly. Like, you're dealing with a lot right now. Like, look at everything that's on your plate. Look at what's going on with your husband. Look at all this stuff. Look at the way he's behaving. Right. Like, there's actually, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. This is human. Your feelings are always valid. They're valid. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. There's so much value in that. And that you're not alone because her worst fear was being alone. Right. Which is so heartbreaking because (sighs) she finally, she makes it through the six weeks at the psychiatric institution. She finally comes home. Sunny is not there to pick her up from the institution as she hoped she really thought that he was going to be there and he they just sent the driver prince they sent prince (laughs) 
the family driver and she gets home to her beautiful apartment that she spent countless hours making a home and she finds that her sister-in-law who is having marriage troubles of her own has moved in in her absence right and sort of taken over the apartment her kids are not there Sunny is not there and her dog has gone blind while she's (laughs) the worst part it's like it's like the rockiest of rock bottoms that she comes back to. Mm-hmm. And then her mother-in-law sends oh, no. the beat-up box oh, no. holding her wedding dress inside. What which I was metaphor. just like, what on earth? You have killed this wet, this marriage. <laughs> like, what you a are dramatic... What it, and she dis, she specifically describes it as a beat up box, as if her mother in law had kicked the shit out of it before right. sending it over to her. <sighs> oh, it was a it was a heartbreaking end to this to this chapter. Yeah, these two life. chapters they were these rough. were rough. I'm really glad we had these, these were Aperol Bettys to get. We us needed through. these Aperol Bettys. We Bettys. needed these, and they're this delish. They look like a sunset, and the sunset has gone down on Brandy's <laughs> marriage. Oh, Brandy. You shouldn't have laughed at that. It was serious. Oh, sorry. <laughs> this is I you. laugh when I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Well, I mean, I guess, speaking of laughing... Let's oh. laugh off a little bit more about our personal stories. Oh. Why don't we? Please. What because do you have? this was something that I wanted to close with. Okay. Um, we've all been kind of, as Betty, we've all been kind of lost at times, right? Yeah. Never. <laughs> I have never questioned anything. <laughs> Navigating our way through the I big city perfect. of New York. <laughs> and trying to pave our way as actors and actresses uh, and artists. Yes. Okay, oh, I hear yes. you. I see where you're going. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All, right, all right. So, did you guys ever have like an odd job? It just—I I remember reading about Kathy, her eldest, and how yeah. she became such an artist, yeah. and she went to summer camp and started to paint individuals in the nude. Right. And it Which was part Sunny of her curriculum. Not happy about. <laughs> So, guys, I actually had to be a model for artists. In the nude? For an art institute. No. Oh. Well, I didn't do it in the nude. But I do find it, I do see it as one of, like, the oddest jobs I ever did to kind of make my way as an actor. Because it's so strange to sit in front of a classroom of 30 people not being able to move. Yeah. Right. You have a set timer ticking, and you have to sit in stillness so they can capture every single facet of you and you can't move i'm not a good meditator i already deal with anxiety so what's the longest amount of time you had to sit for a half an hour it was either half an hour or 45 minute increments oh my god sitting in stillness in front of a room about 30 to 45 students with the instructor basically calling out like everything Part of oh you, my god! Not in the nude. Could you set your pose? 
you would set your pose, oh, okay. but once you were in and your pose, they would it. set the timer. So no scratching your nose, no like, oh God, I, shit, I have to go pee. No like, oh my God, I have to blink my eyes. Usually I had my eyes shut because it was much easier to do it that you way. You can't even blink about if your blinking. eyes are open. Well, I didn't even choose Who to do that, so I don't know how to Who can't blink for 45 yeah, minutes? Hello. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. I don't know. I'm exaggerating, but I kept my eyes shut because there was no way that I was going to be looking and staring at some area. That sounds so, like anyway. a hard job. Ugh. Yeah. So, well, to that point, that was my oddest job while I was pursuing my acting career. I want to hear about your odd jobs. What about that, ladies, chicas? So, I never really had like a crazy, crazy job. But when I very first moved to New York, I was super young. I moved to New York when I was 18. And this probably mm. happened maybe when I was 19. I had a really weird interview where I had responded to an ad in backstage for Reiki massage therapist. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh. I love where this is going. And they said they were willing to train you. So I get an interview. And oh. thank God my boyfriend at the time says he's going to come with me. And he waits in the lobby of this huge... This was not the fiancé. No, no, no. This was the boyfriend that I had actually moved to New York with from Texas. Oh, right. We both went to NYU. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So he's like... He... We're both so young. Neither one of us thinks anything of this interview, but he does say, like, I'm going to come with you. And thank God he did. He comes with me and he waits in the lobby of this huge, beautiful building in the financial district. It's full of doctor's offices and, you know, it's like marble and there's like lots of very legit stuff to make you think mm-hmm. like, you know, this is legit. Yay. So I go up by myself. <laughs> I can't wait. The place is pretty dimly lit but in like a relaxing way like with pinkish lighting and like plush furniture it's like very comfortable and warm and I go into the interview and it's with the man who owns the place and we sit on a couch in one of the massage rooms and he's just showing me these anatomical diagrams like explaining the training process of of massage you know the Reiki massage to me oh my god nothing seems weird yet honestly nothing seems weird to me (laughs) and then out of nowhere the phone in the room rings and he tells me as he's getting up to answer it he's like just get undressed and I'll give you a demonstration of the Reiki massage like what you would be doing his name wasn't Jeffrey Epstein was it (laughs) (laughs) this sounds very ominous so he looks over he goes to answer the phone he tells me to take on my clothes and I'm sort of like like what I'm trying to figure out what to do but like I'm I'm young and I'm what do you mean take off your clothes like He wants me to get undressed, like what you would for a massage, I'm assuming, like down to underwear at least. But he tells me to get undressed. And I just have no idea what to do, and I'm super confused. So I just lay down on the massage table, but I don't take off my clothes. Yes, yes. And he looks over from the phone, and he tells me again to take off my clothes so that he can show me what I'll be doing. And as I'm sort of frozen, face down on this massage table, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, I look down and I see one of those anatomical drawings he was just showing me, except now the picture is of the penis muscle. And it's talking about how it also is a muscle that needs to be relaxed. Brandy. 
Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And so at this point, oh. like sirens oh. are going off in my head. I'm freaking out. But like, if you've ever been in a situation like this, you know, like you kind of freeze. Like you just don't know what to do. And oh so. My God. He, I need to keep drinking, right? I say this. He gets off the phone. And again, he's like, take off your clothes. And at that moment, my boyfriend who for whatever reason has gotten a bad feeling while he's been waiting downstairs. He's come up from the lobby and he is pounding on the door, (gasps) which is apparently locked because I can hear him turning the handle and he can't get in. Oh my gosh. And as he and I are running out of there, because I immediately, I just, I feel like the sound of him pounding on the door and jiggling the the doorknob is what like snaps me out of this. Right. We run out of there and I'm hearing some interesting sounds coming from the different rooms in this office. And we open the front door to the place and there's this very jovial, very large man in a robe who is just (gasps) arriving for his appointment. And he calls the woman at the desk, honey. He's like, hey, honey. And we just push past him and we got the fuck out of there. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I wish. Sorry. I know. Thank God your boyfriend came up. If he hadn't, I don't know what would have happened. That door was locked also brandy that is so scary at first i thought this was going to be like a funny story but actually I, that's th- like what weird, terrifying what's weird is i do think of it as a funny story now I mean, but I, but now, then uh, now exactly well, I, I think that's Jeez. terrible but even oh then it was gosh. sort of a like oh new york like it was kind of one of those moments that we had when we got back downstairs it was like oh you got to be careful because new york Right, but, but this was on everywhere. backstage. It was on backstage. That's how I found oh, the ad, which is crazy. So scary. You guys, that was supposed to be a fun story, and it just got turned super dark. So, Emma, do yours. <laughs> Mine is... I'm like, how do I follow that? <laughs> Ladies. Ladies. <laughs> Let me just say, sexual assault is a very real topic. And it is. It's very if serious. If you are or know someone who is in need of help, do it. And okay. we're not making light of it. I like I had to plug that. Yeah. Um, my ladies. Ladies. <laughs> is it okay if, like, the one that, like, the job that comes to mind I was actually still in college for? Is that okay? Of course. It wasn't while I was in New York. Sure. Yeah. It just it's it's based on when you were trying to make ends yeah, meet when you were for your profession. It. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I was in college and I was in rehearsals for a play and um and so I didn't have a lot of time, but I was like, Well, I do need some kind of job as like for some income to get me through. And I applied <laughs> I applied to Lucky Strike bowling lanes. Have you been there? <laughs> yeah. Yes. There's one here too. <laughs> So the position that they were looking for was a hostess. And so I applied as a hostess. and With the mostest. That's right. <laughs> but actually, I was terrible because it was so boring. Because my first shift was in the middle of the day. And so, like, no one came in no there. No one's there, And yeah. I was like, I went to my manager at the end of that shift. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't think I can do this. Like, 
I need to be busy, like fast paced. I, I don't think I'm the person for you. So he <laughs> promoted me to Lane <laughs> Concierge. Oh. Now, what is that, you may ask? Yes, I, I am asking. Yes. What is that, Emma? Well, the Lane Concierge is the person that gives you your rental shoes, your bowling shoes. Oh. Oh. Mm-hmm. But they also fix problems on the Lane when you're, like, when something is going wrong, if you're having technical problems. Wait, do you have to go down where, what are those things called? Yeah, the, the gutters. And they fall down and they get stuck? And then you have to go inside the lane and then No, pull them I think back. they quickly realized that I was going to have no part in the technical aspect. <laughs> <laughs> but my but my GM was like anytime there were, you know, groups of guys, he would be like oh, no. go over there and just <gasps> like hang out with oh, them no. and see what they need no. but try to get them to come back. And I quickly realized that my lane concierge position really just meant go flirt with all the guys. <sighs> No. And so I didn't last there very long. I was like, mm, I don't think I can do this either. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Emma. It was Good a short-lived gig at the bowling alley. but um, Good for you, though, for walking away from that. Well, he was also like, he was crazy. He was, yeah, they dude, were all but like, I had so many jobs like that, mm-hmm. you know, being here in New York, just trying to be an mm-hmm. actor where just crazy mm-hmm. misogynist, sexist crap like that would happen. Mm-hmm. And I would stick it out because I needed the job or I thought I needed the money or I thought I couldn't find right. another crappy job like or it. Or you thought that you would make connections where there weren't yeah, any. Yeah, stupid stuff, you know. Yeah. But we like, at least you had the the presence of mind and the respect for yourself to be like, I'm not doing this. Yeah. I did for a little while, and then, yeah, I said bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye, bye, lucky straight. out. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, bye, bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. My Aperol Spritz is not done. It's not. Sure you better down it. Cocktail Betty. You guys at home, if you still have drink left, you better drink it fast. A big thank you to Jimmy Fontanez and Meteorite Productions, as well as Text Me Records for our music. Next week, we're going to be discussing chapters 5, 6, and 7. I think we're going to need another strong drink for these. Exactly. You're on it, Emma. Betty will survive. You and Ricardo. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at arethesebooksdrunk to keep up with our discussion and what our cocktail pairing will be so that you can read along and sip along with us because it's always happy hour here. Cheers! Love you guys. Bye. Love you guys. Bye. See you, See soon. you next time. Ciao.